Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Land.com can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own and do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with the family you want. Just know that getting your own piece of land is something that can generate memories for generations, but also has the ability to generate income in both the near and long term. Like if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound. Go to Land.com and check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is a place to find and invest in your open space. This is Jobsolete, where we talk about jobs that are long gone. Today, we're looking at a job from before the printing press, a time when you couldn't just photocopy written material. Every copy of every letter, contract, book, or piece of music had to be written by hand. This episode, we're learning about scribes. Calligraphy. Historical Korean dramas. A 4,000-year-old complaint letter. Monks and stuff. Plucking quills from a live goose. Noisy scriptoriums, am I right? Medieval memes. And adult image doodles. Whoa. So what do you know about scribes, Helen? I don't think I ever used the word scribe before, but I do know that before the printing press, people definitely had to write things out by hand. And I know it was just like long, painstaking work. And there was a lot of hunched over, being hunched (laughs) over. You know, and not only that, but of course, there's the quill and the ink and it's, you have to constantly dip it in the ink and... It's not like they can just type 120 words a minute here. They have to, (laughs) so slow. Also, I feel like the way that we write is much simpler than the way that things used to be written back in the day. There was a lot of like flourishing of the Mm. F. The top of the F or the bottom of the S has to be very like rounded and flourished. Yeah. So Because it was slower, every word was more thought out. It wasn't like today with BRB, LOL, 
in many ways more visually appealing and I would say artistic. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because if it was done by hand, it was like a little mini work of art. It was. But remember, they had to make every copy by hand. So very tedious. And we have an audience question here from Katie Young. The question is, how long did it take to handwrite a book? Or also, how many people did it take? What kind of resources went into it? If it's just one person copying an entire book, we're talking about serious time here. Is the book The Very Hungry Caterpillar? Or is the book (laughs) a Dostoevsky novel? Because that is two different books. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I haven't read the latter. I've read the former many times. (laughs) But right now, you know what time it is? Oh, my favorite time. (laughs) Are you guys ready? It is time to hop into the Jobsolete time machine back to ancient Egypt. Okay, so ancient Egypt makes me think about hieroglyphics. Yes, the earliest writing that we have deep knowledge of, or at least enough to like understand what they were saying. <laughs> and so... In ancient Egypt, actually, just 1% of the population was literate, according to most estimates. Oh, wow. So nobody could read. That's what kind of made scribes an even more important job, because you had to be educated. Not just able to read, but able to put a sentence together, be educated in the arts... It was a family tradition, usually from father to son, and then the the son would inherit the father's positions upon entering the civil service, and it was part of the royal court, so very dignified. They had special privileges, like they didn't have to pay taxes or serve in the military. Oh, okay. Celebrities sometimes. Yeah, so that was ancient Egypt, but it wasn't just there. All over the world, we had scribes. But yeah, ancient Israel, they had uh, they were also distinguished professionals there. In imperial China and neighboring countries in Asia, scribes also had prestige. I know about this from Korean dramas. Oh, mm-hmm. do tell. Yeah. Historical Korean dramas, they would always have the, the guy in the fancy outfit who's like off to the side of the king, and he's like furiously scribbling down. <laughs> the rules from the king and he's like very hunched over and he's got the he's got the quill and the ink and the whole thing yeah well it was a high paying job in imperial china and most of these other countries in uh, in asia it was usually for official government business so we're not talking about just anything that they're writing down like this is like laws and stuff and protocol codes uh, stuff that everybody would have to know about in society And then we're going to jump ahead to the Middle Ages in Europe, which I think is where we get more people familiar with that occupation. You think of the Middle Ages in Europe, maybe? I do. I was thinking from what I've learned in in school, the Bible was a thing that was very most commonly copied back then. And it was like monks and stuff, right? Yeah. There were three types of scribes. So the one that you're referring to, those were the monastic scribes. So you usually monks that were copying passages from the Bible, but there were also court scribes, so similar to Imperial China with the official government documents. And then there were professional scribes who did everything else uh, and were paid, you know, like typically we're talking contracts. Contracts, of course, contracts. Buddy, you owe me four geese because I gave you two ducks. Oh, yeah. That's a fair (laughs) trade. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we have it in writing. <laughs> Uh, similar to ancient Egypt in the Middle Ages in Europe, um, we don't know exactly for sure, but there are estimates anywhere from 1% all the way up to 15% literacy rates. And so we still have the majority of the population who can't read or write. So scribes are definitely needed, though. It was a more common job in the Middle Ages, but we're going to find out that it became rare after a significant event. And so now it's time to hear from somebody else. Yes, this episode we have a guest. It is Dr. Richard Scott Noakes. I'm Professor Awesome, also Dr. Richard Scott Noakes. I'm a professor of medieval literature at Troy University. I am also the founder of Witan Publishing, which is the oldest publisher of medieval uh, ebooks. Medieval ebooks, wow. It's old and new. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. <laughs> Get your ancient books on your MacBook. Am I right? <laughs> Pretty cool, actually, yeah, to preserve that stuff that way. I know you mentioned ancient Egypt, but people writing things down must go even further back than that, don't you think? We've had scribes as long as we've had literacy. Through most of the, well, really through all the time that we had uh, manuscript culture, before print culture, most people were not literate, but often people would need things that were written down. So you always had someone who would write things down. So haven't we found like ancient parchment from in Sanskrit that people can't even decipher? Like it's so old, the language is completely dead. Yeah, yeah. Like I said about ancient Egypt, like at least we can translate some of that stuff whereas there are stuff that goes back much further we're just like wow this we think that there's a message here but we don't know exactly what it is and then some people some people say aliens but uh no (laughs) that's not right people found these old things in sanskrit and they're like oh my gosh this must be an amazing proclamation from the king and meanwhile it's like a coupon from like (laughs) the dollar store of the day (laughs) do we know what like the first pieces of writing were about? We don't, but we've had writing. It's called uh, cuneiform, I believe mm. is how you pronounce it. It, uh, it dates back all the way to 3200 BC, but we have kind of a famous thing written about 1750 BC on a clay tablet. It's one of the few things we know essentially what they were saying. It's uh, pretty interesting, actually. Uh, it's called the Complaint Tablet to Iadnesser. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> Iadnesser. But anyway, it's a, it's a clay tablet, and there's a complaint to a merchant who apparently is named Iadnesser, and it's from a customer named Nani, and it's considered to be the oldest written complaint that we know of. That is so funny and makes so much sense that the first one of the first pieces of writing that we have in human history is essentially a negative Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> like some customer was like, I hated this business and I need to write it down. <laughs> in stone. I will learn how to write and learn how to cuneiform into this stone tablet because that's how mad I am. I'm so mad. I'll, they'll be reading about this in thousands of years. They'll still be reading about this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. But yeah, let's jump back ahead to the Middle Ages. And there was something that definitely upped the prestige again of scribes during the Middle Ages. And that was the Black Death. You know why that it would make scribes 
a bigger deal because everybody was dying and <laughs> yeah i just laughed when he said everyone jobs, was dying jobs were opening up the jobs were just opening up left and right because people were just dropping like flies yes that would be it the labor shortage because uh, a third of the population is gone and so the heyday for scribes where you can make more money in europe anyway was the 1350s up to the 1450s and we're going to find out later in the show why the 1450s marks the beginning of the decline. But before we get there, it's time for qualifications. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the Body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. Land.com can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own and do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with the family you want. Just know that getting your own piece of land is something that can generate memories for generations, but also has the ability to generate income in both the near and long term. Like if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound. Go to Land.com and check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is a place to find and invest in in your open space. Yeah, what did you need to be able to do to get a job as a scribe? There was vocational training in some regard. I feel like all the jobs back then, you that's how everyone got the jobs back then, right? If you were a, like a sword maker, you had to apprentice under a master sword maker. If you were a butcher, you had to apprentice under a master butcher. I feel like all the jobs back then, like you needed to be an assistant to someone to learn how to do the job. I would say many of the more respected jobs, definitely. I'm sure the less glamorous jobs, no. <laughs> 
ancient Egypt, as I said earlier, like, of course, it was a prestigious job there. Uh, there was actually a special school for scribes in ancient Egypt, and you actually did learn how to read and write hieroglyphic and hieratic scripts, and it was really hard work. It was pretty complicated. I feel like in, in with ancient Egypt, with hieroglyphics, I think about each letter was like its own little illustration. It was, yeah. It was, uh, it's really, it's pretty cool looking. I mean, you see it, at first it just looks like a bunch of random I images, and then you like notice patterns. I think it'd be fun just to kind of look at hieroglyphics and try to decipher them, really. It's like solving a puzzle. I actually know a little bit from what I watched in historical Korean dramas that if you were a scribe in an ancient king's court in Korea, and I'm assuming probably similar in China, that you were actually an important person. Like you had to, you were dressed in a really nice outfit and you went to school and you were considered upper class, essentially. Oh yeah. You were one of the elites in China, imperial China. There were civil service exams where this was over hundreds of years, these civil service exams you took as a teenager usually. And however you scored on that exam determined what you would do as a career. And so you took this and if you showed that you could write well, you usually were chosen to be a scribe in, in China. And this also, yeah, like you said, it carried over, this tradition carried over to Korea, Japan, Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And then many women were scribes in England. <gasps> really? Wow. You never see that in the movies. You don't, do you? Yeah. They, so they usually were religious women. So they were in convents typically, and they all were literate there. Whoa. So the nuns could all read and write, and they were doing a lot of the similar stuff that the monks were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all religious texts, but it was still pretty cool that they were an extreme minority often and like sometimes the only people in the village that could read or write they were the the gateway to all this knowledge we know that sometimes scribes would put copies of their work and hang them outside their shop to try to get business and occasionally in a manuscript you'll find maybe near the end of the manuscript a little advertisement at the end where a professional scribe is written this manuscript was copied by so-and-so. That's a weird quandary because if you're talking about a time where only 1% of the population could read and write and you're advertising for reading writing in the window of your shop, but most people don't know how to read and write, how would they know to hire you? If you're like, oh man, I need a scribe to do this contract because I can't read and write. This guy says he can read and write, so I'm just going to trust him because it looks legit on the page. Who am I to say? It's one of those things where you can do it or you can't. Definitely. And... Whoever's hiring you either knows you can do it or they don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. if you're getting hired by someone who can read, obviously that it's they can tell very quickly whether you can do it. But if they can't read, they're like, ah, uh, sure, looks, yep, you're hired. It looks look it looks good to me. So Helen, what do you think would be the most important skill for a scribe? You'd have to know how to read, and I'm assuming you'd have to have a pretty steady hand. Every case I can think of, the scribe came out of having apprenticed under some other scribes. If you entered into the church and you entered into a monastic order where they are copying Bibles or prayer books or things like this as part of their mission, you'd be taught there how to read, you'd be taught how to copy. 
That's crazy. So a scribe could become a scribe and not even know what they were writing. They're just literally copying characters or letters like just, just oh, that's what an A looks like. It looks like a round thing with a little tail. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a little round thing with a little tail. Or they may not know it's an A. They're just like, that, that thing, I'm going to <laughs> duplicate it. Yeah. <laughs> the circle with the tail goes here. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. We take these things for granted as adults. We learn this stuff when we're in kindergarten, first grade. Second grade, yeah, like, you could break it down to spelling, grammar, like, just being able to... Remember how when you were in first grade, you had the lines and the dotted lines on the paper, you had it... It was so hard to get the letters yes. written, and the art of writing letters down, and then putting, connecting them, and it's just really so much more than writing, I guess is my point. I would say that the skills were more in line with a modern-day author or journalist... I never even thought about a world where someone can read but not write. But you're right. Writing is a skill that we acquired when we were little, but that's something that's learned. It just doesn't come automatically once you know how to write. It doesn't just come automatically once you know how to read. That's so interesting. Let's talk about the tools of the trade. I'm assuming that one needs paper of some form, maybe a parchment or canvas, perhaps, mm -hmm. and a quill and ink. Yes, but it wasn't just that. You would sit at a desk, and the desk, rather than having a horizontal top of the kind that we think about today, it had a top that was at a 45 degree angle. You would then have a quill. Normally it would be a quill, though there were sometimes metal pens or things like this, usually made of a goose feather, if you could. Goose feathers that were plucked from a live goose of a particular kind of wing during a particular season were considered the best uh, because you wanted it to be uh, just the right amount of tension. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the Body app and just follow along day by day. 
before most people are even out of bed. I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I.com. And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. Land.com can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own and do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with the family you want. Just know that getting your own piece of land is something that can generate memories for generations, but also has the ability to generate income in both the near and long term. Like if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound. Go to Land.com and check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is a place to find and invest in in your open space. So now let's look at a typical day. It was very common for them to complain about the way that their hands felt, about the poor lighting, thin ink, bad parchment, bad quills that they're using. And at this time, very few people could read silently. Silent reading really wasn't a thing until pretty recently, historically. And so you would probably, if you were in a room full of other scribes, you'd probably hear people quietly whispering the text themselves as they are copying it down. Wow. That would get really old really fast. <laughs> if I'm a scribe and I'm concentrating really hard, perhaps I might not even be able to read that well. And I'm like, filling out my copying and next to me is like five other people being like and then he opened the door and then he pulled out <laughs> like shut up bart shut up i'm trying to write over here okay i honestly had no idea that reading silently was a fairly new thing in history yeah yeah that is really weird i wonder why like why that's a new thing that's so Again, we're take, we take it for granted. It's really a, an amazing thing, reading and writing. Maybe it's because all of reading was just, it just wasn't as commonly done as we do it now. Like when we learned to, Matt, you and I, when we learned to read, we read things out loud. That's how we learned as kids, like cat, mm -hmm. dog. That's how we learned is like sounding the words out. Maybe the, that was like the whole culture at the time because just the, people just did less reading. Okay, so there's it would be a tiresome job. Again, carpal tunnel probably is in there, but of course they didn't know what carpal tunnel was back then. But. Right, you couldn't run down to CVS and buy a wrist brace. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine if I'm typing for an hour, my whole, yeah, everything hurts. But if you're physically holding a quill and you've got to constantly be dipping it in the ink and you're hunched over a desk and the lighting is bad because they didn't even have electricity, so you're doing this all by candlelight, come on! I mean, I complain about still having to write stuff down with a pencil sometimes. Like, I had to write a grocery <laughs> list the other day, and pencils weren't <laughs> even around until the end of the 1700s. Uh, wow. So, like, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... Not fun. But it still had to look good. Every manuscript was its own unique object. And the size of the page, the number of lines on the page, and sometimes even little holes and blemishes in the manuscript would have to be accounted for. And so because of this, 
first they would put little lines this sort of scratch little lines along it so that they could write evenly and in some cases we have places where there might have been a little hole or blemish in the manuscript that got pulled wide uh, after the manuscript was stretched to be flat and so the scribe had to write around it wait what things could get moved around on the paper if because it's not just one person working on the page at a time you know this is when they needed a chip clip What's a chip clip? Matt, you don't know what a chip clip is? It's a clip <laughs> that you buy to make sure your potato chips, that, like when you, if you don't finish the bag, <laughs> okay. you fold up the top of the potato chip bag and then you close it with a chip clip. But in this case, you would use the chip clip to fasten the parchment to the desk that you're writing on so it doesn't move around. Okay, that chip clip. <laughs> I totally I did not connect that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, imagine Helen going back in a time machine to the Middle Ages and saying, hey, guys, no, here, just walk around. I've got a chip clip. Yeah. I've got you. I know your paper is moving around all over the desk because it's medieval times, but man, I got you. I have this chip clip. <laughs> <laughs> just like print designers today, there were different jobs on one page. So you had the scribe, but you also had a separate job that was related, the illuminator. <gasps> who added all the extra stuff on the page to make it look cool. You are going to need to leave room for illustrations. And that would be done after the fact. So in movies, you often see someone putting a, a very beautiful letter uh, and then they write the manuscript. But in fact, what they would do is they would just leave a box where this thing is going to be and they'd send it to the illuminator who was often, in fact, maybe even usually a separate person. Now there's different kinds of illuminations. Probably the ones that most people are familiar with uh, in terms of decorations are what we call initials. And those are the really big letters that start a section. And we do have some examples of manuscripts where there's just an empty box where there was supposed to be a picture. That's so funny. So the illuminator never got around to it. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the, the scribe was like, oh, this is where the fancy first letter goes. And then the fancy first letter guy was like, nope, I quit. <laughs> We'll never know the first letter of that word. <laughs> now, we usually have a notable person to bring up for our occupation, but this episode is a little different because the names of medieval scribes, really all scribes in, in history, are lost to history, but we do have bits and pieces and some that are, they're well-known as scholars, but they're still anonymous. We do have some scribes who are by themselves famous for their hand because of so many things that they wrote, but we don't know their names. So there's one scribe, for example, who we call the tremulous hand because whoever this person was, they wrote for decades and they had a tremor in their hand and we can identify them immediately from their hand. So if you showed me today a manuscript from the tremulous hand that I've never seen before, I would immediately know who wrote it, even though we don't know anything about this person's name. First of all, this poor guy, we don't know his name. We just know him as the tremulous hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we know that he lived in the 1200s. It was old English manuscripts, and he uh, had a leftward-leaning style. <laughs> and it was always light brown ink and, of course, shaky. Yeah. The tremulous hand of Wooster, was his, that's what we call him. But that's also it's also interesting that they didn't get to sign their work because they weren't the authors. They were just the copiers. So yeah. that's sad that they did all this. They spent all this time and effort and energy, but we just don't know who any of them are. Yeah. So in, in that way, not very, 
glorious. So I'm gonna guess that scribes started going away because of the printing press? That is a good guess, but it was a slow decline. When the printing press first started moving throughout Europe and then eventually throughout the whole world, it wasn't clear to people exactly how to use it. You still needed scribes to copy things that needed one or two things copied. If you were going to print a book that you wanted 50 copies, 100 copies, 1,000 copies of, it was much better, much faster, much cheaper to print it on the printing press. When you look at something like Bartleby the Scrivener, this you know 19th century Herman Melville uh, story, you do have people who are still copying, but no longer they're copying things that you need five copies, 10 copies, 50 copies, but more of things that you need two copies for. Wow, I never thought about the printing press when it first started out, that it wasn't just an easy thing. Okay, now everybody can stop writing by hand. It still was an expensive and laborious thing to run, so they wouldn't run it just to make two copies of anything. They, it was economical to have to run it for 100 copies. So if you only needed two copies, you would still go to the scribe. Yeah, that short story by Herman Melville about Bartleby the Scrivener, still doing that in the 1800s, that would be just making one copy of something, yeah, because it was more economical that way, and it makes sense. It's uh, Just because you have the technology doesn't mean it's worth it for most people. Bartleby the Scrivener. Say that ten times fast. No thanks. <laughs> now the printing press gets all the attention, but there were other ways to copy printed material that came after it. Actually, there's a whole long list here that we're going to go through in chronological order. There was etching. Mesotint. Relief printing. Aquatint. Lithography. Chromolithography. Rotary press. Pectograph. Offset printing. Hot metal typesetting. Mimeograph. Daisy wheel printing. Photostat and rectograph. <laughs> that sounds bad. It sounds so bad. <laughs> Screen printing. Spirit duplicator. Dot matrix printing. Xerox. Oh, we know that one. A spark printing. Photo typesetting. Inkjet printing. Dye sublimation. Laser printing. Thermal printing. Solid ink printing. Thermal transfer printing. 3D printing. And <gasps> digital printing. Which is where we are today. Wow. There has been lots of kinds of printing. <laughs> yeah. If you're reading something uh, in written form today, odds are it's, it was digitally printed. And so, yes, a scribe today makes no sense at all. Or maybe it does. I feel like today people still are into calligraphy. And so calligraphy owes its history back to people who were scribes, don't you think? That's part of the legacy of these scribes. Yeah, so thank you, scribes. Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealot Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong, that's me, and Matt Beat. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Steve Zamarki, Anthony Savini, and Jason Elliott. Our editor is Tommy Nichol. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jaimes. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team, Katrina Norvell, Nikki Etor, Ali Cantor, Carrie Lieberman, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is the lunch rush at your local deli. Orders are flying in. Online, on the phone, and in person. Order for Nick. So is it possible that fast internet could help your business outrun the rush? It is with Comcast Business. Powering your connected devices with gig speed Wi-Fi and fast downloads and uploads. With Comcast Business, next level speed isn't just possible, it's happening. Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. Requires gigabit internet and compatible router. Actual speeds vary. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.